Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we're doing American Beauty. A quick apology, there were some technical difficulties that led to my audio channel being not particularly high quality in this episode, but I think it's still fairly listenable. Next week we'll be back to our typical incredibly high standard of, of audio quality. Obviously this, this episode contains spoilers for American Beauty. Do enjoy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns. My name is Alan Turing. With me, as always, is Sol Harris. Uh, hi. And as our very special guest today, we have the returning co-presenter, Judy Bignall. Hello. Not Hello. special anymore. No, not special if you've done it before. <laughs> Busted you in. Um, so... <laughs> This week, we're actually going with a, a, a listener request. Um, our listener, Benjamin Berry, or Benjamin Burry. Benjamin. <laughs> he recommended doing American Beauty, and I thought, that's a good idea. I haven't watched American Beauty for ages, and it's a quite an interesting film, as I remember it. Yeah, and you, you were keen to uh, show your support for Kevin Spacey in, in lieu of recent events <laughs> yes yeah a spacey apologist so he touched some kids so <laughs> <laughs> what was the actual claim against him I, was it uh, was it to do with kids or was it to do with Weinstein yeah it was underage boys yeah oh shit yeah like 15 year old something like that anyway we don't yeah. know anything about that and certainly don't have any legal uh, recourse to discuss it. So, Well, of course we do. That's our whole <laughs> shtick. We're always trying to get sued. <laughs> no. For the money you don't make. <laughs> Come at me, Spacey. Seriously. I'll, I'll take you on in the court of law. Don't take on the person you're apologising for. That's no, I'm not apologising for him. Alan is. Alan loves oh. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I just want to clarify that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Sol has made this up. No, Alan loves Kevin Spacey and stands by him. I'll say it. I'll, I'll call him a scumbag. I'll say it to his face. Come at me, Spacey. <laughs> so, so, we're dealing with American Beauty. Um, now, this was Sam Mendes' directorial debut as a filmmaker. Uh, made in 1999... Um, shall we start with our personal reflections? I think uh, I must have seen it at the time. I was aware of it at the time. You guys are a bit younger. I, I remember my uncle and aunt had it on VHS, and it was like, oh, there's a um, scantily clad uh, nudie woman on this box from the look of things. I might have to uh, investigate this when uh, I've got a moment to myself. So you saw the naked underage girl on there and you thought, I'll have a bit of that. She's not underage, is she? The character is. Is she? She's 17. Well, I was like 12 or something, bear in mind, when I was looking at this. So she oh, was way older. Oh, so 12-year-olds can't commit crime. <laughs> <laughs> like, if anything, she was doing a crime on me. Yeah. All right? Right. Let's some start some beef with me and <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so Judy, I know you like this film, don't you? So wait, how how, how old is she in the okay. film? You're not asking the character. Me. I mean, go answer. Seventeen, I think. That's 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 fine in this country. Nation of pedos. If you brought, <laughs> that's what Churchill said, doesn't it? <laughs> no, that's a good that's a good point though. I don't think she is meant to be underage, is she? Um, if she's seventeen, it depends what state they're in. Because I think she talked. I mean, you can't really tell with teenage girls, but she's talked quite openly about like all the people she's meant to have slept with. Yeah. And I think the big reveal is not kind of like, oh god, she's underage and she's done it. It's that whole kind of I'm a virgin mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've run to the end there. Let's cut that bit out then. No worries. <laughs> but yeah, the point of it is not about the legality of it; it's about the morality of the situation, or even uh, that as a metaphor. But we're going in. There's a lot to discuss here, I think. And the guy was, I was very interested by this film. There was lots of things that made me think, "Oh, what is it saying here? What is it trying to say here?" Um, so, first thoughts. Let's just start there. Judy, I really like this film. I really like it. I first watched it. Um, probably when I was 18 um, and I've only seen it about three or four times overall one of which was last week when I rewatched it for this podcast um, and I kind of forget how great it is between watches and then I watch it again and just fall in love with it all over again um, so that's kind of where I stand I think I have a similar experience to that where I've only seen it two or three times maybe two times um, but I, I I left such a big gap between the last time I saw it and this time that if anything I almost went the other way if anything I'd almost bigged it up too much in my head so it couldn't oh, quite no. live up to it when I came back to it but I do like it it's good yeah I, I, I enjoy it um, I wouldn't say I love it because it ultimately my feelings come down to I feel it he should have he should have fucked her at the end <laughs> Well, All right, chill really out, right. chill out, Alan. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, you know you're on Spacey's like... side. You're rooting for him. <laughs> so, my my ultimate kind of problem with the film—it's not a big problem—but my 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 takeaway from this watching was that it feels like it's trying to be a very personal film and telling a very personal character story, but it's formed in a kind of studio way it Mm. feels impersonal and very professional and i looked up the writer and and he is a professional script writer like that's that's what he does he's a writer and so he does know what he's doing in terms of putting a script together but this was his attempt to write something a bit more personal and talk and like deal with some things he was going through at the time he was in his early 40s and like questioning his life choices and stuff like that so but it, but that's what I think. I think it's like it's getting to these personal stories, these personal ideas. But he's gone. Oh well, yeah, I can't sell that. So let's just make it into. And there's like there's this sense of a mystery. There's like this murder mystery element that just yeah. gets a bit lost in it. It feels like that was a a way that he decided to. Oh yeah, I'll create a structure through this, and it never really goes anywhere. It doesn't matter that he dies at the end, uh, and like I feel like that should really matter. If it's yeah, gonna, and it certainly doesn't matter how he dies. Mm, yeah yeah or not enough anyway so what, what do you what do you think because that, that was kind of my ultimate problem with it and it, it doesn't detract it from it too much because I still enjoy the character study but I think it's just it's sort of desperately trying to be something else just in case that's not enough yeah I, I, I think I agree with everything you just said really um, I mean one of my notes is kind of how much I hate the opening scene because it feels like such a 
it feels like they were scrambling around in the edit to try and make it have a hook at the start. Because it, it opens on um, Thora Birch and, and a young man in a bedroom being like, would you kill my dad? Yeah. Someone really should just put him out of his misery. Want me to kill him for you? Yeah. Would you? And then his narration comes in and he's saying like, oh, this is the story of how I died or whatever. Yeah, and there were loads of films made in the late 90s of the the sort of teenagers murder a parent genre. <laughs> Apparently they always had about four or five like cold open scenes like that. It wasn't just thrown together in the edit. And they actually trimmed them all back apart from that one. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, the original cut of the film had them being found guilty for his murder yeah. at the end of the... Yeah, like it bookended it with a courtroom drama yeah. bit, didn't it? Yeah. But I think without that element, it does just feel very... like this weird tacked-on element that doesn't need to be there, and I think that's kind of what you were getting at before. Yeah. That you've kind of got this great little character piece, really, about this man having a um, I mean, kind of a midlife crisis, arguably yeah, not, yeah. but depending on how you look at it. Um, renovation. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the, I, I actually watched the trailer, like I went back, uh, I, I found uh, like the original trailer, because I was wondering if like, is that the hook? They were just trying to make it and they're going to sell it as like a murder mystery. And it's not in there at all. It is just like, oh, look, here's this character. Here's this guy doing this. So... It, they, it wasn't even like a desperate marketing ploy. I think it was, like I say, I think it was a writer who didn't trust himself to tell a personal story and just so thought, oh, I'll make this something that I know will work that I, and I know I can sell. You know you wrote that play, Alan? Yeah. Turning 30. Hitting 30. Hitting 30. Yeah. Did you did you tack anything on to make that more appealing to the masses anywhere? Like, uh... No, I just go for... No. character study. Raw yeah, drama. I don't, I don't mm. need to uh, sugar the pill. If you were going to tack something on to make it appealing to the masses, what would you go for? Ghost story. Oh yeah, the, that, yeah, the, the masses, they're eating up ghost stories out there. They love it. It'd be a nun, possessed nun. <laughs> she, she's, she's turning 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've kind of referenced a few times about this like murder mystery thing. I'd never seen it as that kind of framework before before you said it actually now you do I, I see what you're talking about but I don't find it I, I don't find it kind of registers that much I do find the beginning a little weird that's exactly what I mean I think it's something that it's something that they he, he, they want they put in there as a sort of give it a sense of structure and then the directors come along and gone well you know we're just interested in this character yeah I, I never thought of it being like that either until re-watching it and then it was just on this rewatch, very apparent oh they clearly did try and include this sort of murder thriller element in here and it's kind of got lost a bit. I don't know. I I mean, I had completely... When you first mentioned it, I completely forgot about that bit at the beginning, which, let's be honest, yeah, you could just take away and start with the narration and him, you know, narrating that opening scene as it pans down into the... uh, as it zooms in into the street. But I thought you meant the bit at the end where you, obviously, (laughs) spoilers, where you hear the gunshot 
and then um, you, you kind of see a few, doing. yeah, you see what everyone's doing. I thought you meant that. And I thought, well, it's not really, well. to me, that's not about murder mystery. That's more about any one of these people could have done it for their own reasons. And hey, look, it just happened to be this well, what, person. What is that? You know, that's kind of the mystery. Well, yeah, but I don't think it's labored over. It's more of a kind of, oh, look, it's a flavor. I mean, it's, it's not a mystery in the traditional sense. It's It's a thriller in the sense of, which one is going to be the one to kill him? Exactly. That's They've why all it's got mystery, motivation. At, at the beginning, it says, I'm going to die. And then you go, well, how is he going to die? That's that's setting up a sense of suspense. I never, I never, that's, because when I watched it, I never thought, how is he going to die? I thought, why is he going to die? Exactly. That's what I mean. That's, what, that's why it doesn't work. That's what we're saying. And I think that's, I think that's how most people get something out of the film, how most people view it. I think the, the vast majority of people watching it, it's not about the murder element. It's about this character piece and, and these mm-hmm. people and what they're going through. So, this film was made in 1999, and Good we we discussed Fight Club a few, uh, few episodes ago. Yeah, and I was thinking when I was watching this, this this is very much of the same mold. Obviously, a very different sort of type of film, but it's coming from the same place. So that kind of sense of like I have everything I could want, and why? What do I like? I've I've bought into this sort of lie of the American dream that I should do this, I should do this, and suddenly I'm going, what the fuck is this about? What do I really want to do? And there was a lot of that going on at that time period. Yeah, Fight Club is being an obvious example. So, could you make this film now? Would would you make this film the same today? Or was, was it is it stuck in a particular time? Well, no, because Kevin Spacey, I don't know if you heard, he's had all these allegations made against him. Seems like he was sexually assaulting young men. uh... I think... (laughs) I think it would be a different... uh, I don't know that it's kind of... Uh, time limited the story isn't time limited it's more kind of setting limited that kind of suburbia uh role or that that suburbia setting what was happening then that that was making filmmakers at that time ask these sort of questions that then stopped i don't know i think the world's not quite as you know content as it was at that point in the 90s there was restlessness breeding as a result of it that you don't really have now because now there are all these issues that people are dealing with such as Kevin Spacey touching uh, young kids that people are trying to... Can we talk about the neighbour who's so... Well, I was going to say that that's something that you probably wouldn't keep the same if you were making this now. I don't think you <laughs> dare try and make a... I'd be a using an iPhone. Wouldn't be yeah, a, a likeable Peeping Tom character. It's just kind of... doesn't play in this day and age, especially not in a film with Kevin Spacey in it. Can you get off Kevin Spacey's back? Hasn't he got enough problems? <laughs> Christ. But yeah, um, the, the fact that the neighbour kid, the neighbour, well, he's, I mean, he looks about 25, but the neighbour <laughs> kid who's supposed to be 18 or whatever, he's creeping on the, the girl next door, but because she's not the girl next door type, she's actually a bit uh, like frumpy and uh, shy, it's okay, because he's not perving on her, he's actually... Empowering He's looking past the attractive one to the other one, who's a bit more plain and therefore more accessible. Intriguing. That's not why he does it. Come on, he films a dead bird and says it's beautiful. It's not because yeah. it's like, hey, this dead bird is accessible. Yeah, but he does. You're like, men don't think like this. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm... men think. Easy target. So <laughs> he does film a load of shit. 
and says it's beautiful. <sighs> yeah, just as a character, it doesn't play. I don't know if it did back in 1999, but he just comes across as a weird, creepy guy. Mm. He Well, he comes across as a weird, creepy guy until that scene with the bag. And I, on this rewatching, I got it. You mean that Some ghost? The bag, I got it. Captured on film. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of it is like, yeah, why are you filming the dead bird? But that that sequence and the script, I have to say, like the script at that particular moment, the delivery, it was really, really good. Really, I don't know. Really for, I think I'm the opposite. I think for me, when when he starts showing her a bag, I'm like, oh come on. Well, yeah, but you're looking at the the practical side of it, like very rational mind. Why this is just a bag? But... I get a dead bird more than a bag. Look, oh, I, I know, I, I, I know, win. fucking <laughs> shitty, arty teenagers trying to impress girls. When I see it, like he's probably reading a French poetry after that. Just <laughs> cut that scene out. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Should we should we talk about Thora Birch? Because mm-hmm. hang on, remind she, me which one Thora Birch is. Um, the main girl, the main woman, the yeah. daughter, the, the young the daughter. Okay, what do you mean the main girl? I definitely wouldn't say that Jane Burnham's the main girl. Jane Burnham, what's Who? the character? Janie. Oh. She's the so, second yeah, she's most the lead character after Lester. Yeah, she's a character. Oh, I don't know. She's almost the uh, protagonist. Doesn't seem like it should be. Yeah, but so's Annette. Yeah. Whatever her name is, and and uh, Angela. No, what's her face? No, she's there. The other ones are there to make Lester see things of himself, whereas he doesn't really get that from his daughter. But yeah, she she was poised to be kind of a big deal around this time, wasn't she? She she had this, and there was another film around this. Oh, Ghost World, two thousand, I think Ghost World was two thousand and one. Two thousand one. There was there some other girl in that, but she never went anywhere. Yeah. And uh, she did Lion King two. <gasps> Wait, what? What was she? She was the voice of the. <laughs> this is my thing. The main, the main one, I think. Kiara. Yeah. What? Opposite Andy Dick. I'm on her... Th- Wait, who's Andy Dick in Lion King 2? The one who sounds like Andy Dick. <laughs> the, the one who's like this. Wow, I'm a wacky lion. Oh, him. <laughs> yeah, oh, I hear it now. I've only heard Andy Dick in Hoodwinked, so I was like, I, don't, I can't relate. Anyway, um, I'm on Thora Birch's IMDb thing, and I can't... There's not that much she's kind of known for. No big well, she was a child there. actor. She was a child actor, and as a teenager, she kind of hit a point where it sort of all fell apart. I don't know. No, I, I believe her dad basically destroyed her career. Oh. Because um, he was managing her. She, be- I think, basically, my understanding is her dad got her blacklisted from Hollywood, and she kind of never really, her career never really recovered. But she had a little moment in the late 90s turn of the century when uh, she was poised to be a, a big big star and she's good she's a good she's a good yeah. performance okay yeah it just sounds like her dad was a maniac apparently she got fired from an off-broadway uh revival of dracula because her dad was threatening other actors um he kept like insisting he was present to like watch her filming sex scenes which could be seen as good parental stuff but apparently he was quite creepy about it uh just sounds like her dad was a bit of a creep and and got her blacklisted yeah we got um so i'm playing opposite her is mina suvari who's playing like Mm. more 
typical hot chick. You know what? I I had a lot more respect for her performance on this rewatch. Um, the first time I saw this film, I always just sort of dismissed it as, you know, Thora Birch is the good one and she's just kind of the typical, like you say, hot one who's just in that role. But watching it again, I, I thought her performance was actually really good, had a lot of nice subtlety to it. It is. And it mm. actually, I found that really interesting that it that wasn't a kind of easy black and white line because mm. it felt like it really needed to be. And it, it, it was too interested in making Mina Suvari's character work as, as a whole, which is good but it it ultimately took away from the Thora Birch character because when they fall out it's not Mina Savari being a total bitch it's kind of both of them yeah but but it it works both ways and and then because at the end we see Mina Savari's character is a lot of bluster and facade and is actually very fragile and vulnerable which is kind of the whole point of her character journey so we have a lot of sympathy for her and I think that's important for that character, but then it makes it more difficult for your other character. And so that was a difficult balance that I'm mm. not sure the film quite got right. Because I'm not sure I really liked Thora Burge's character by the end of it. Yeah, I agree. The guy next door that she runs off with, like they, the whole thing, it just seems... And, and he has perfectly good reason to walk away from that family home. But because he's such a dick... Even though his dad like beats him up, but he's and you and you see him so often lying and manipulating people. So then, when he was supposed to accept that he really loves this girl and she's fallen for him, it just feels manipulative because you see all the things he's doing to this girl who doesn't get much attention. So all he has to do is pay her attention instead of her hot friend who usually gets the attention and and like he's in. Oh, I don't know. That makes it sound a lot more calculating on that relationship front. I haven't. Yeah, because I didn't that's view it, it that way at all. Really? I don't think he comes across like a dick. Oh, I think it does. I think he's supposed to, but he does. Yeah, throughout the film, I was sort of thinking, is this going to be the like twist reveal that he's just using her and manipulating her, and that's kind of what they're setting up? Oh God, no! I never, never got that at all. I, cool. I don't know. Call me a sucker. I just thought it was genuine. He is like zero bullshit. So you know, on the bit where um. Obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm not paying you for what you're doing out here. Fine, don't pay me. It's just it comes across as a guy who's dropped all of that facade, and he's like, "Well, fuck it. I've got nothing to lose. I'm gonna live my life very honestly." So there's no point. And also, when his dad's beating him up, like, "Why did you go in my cabinets?" It's like he came clean and said, "I wanted to show my girlfriend the plate." It's like there's just yeah, but he, he said that across... because he knew the dad's reaction would be, "Oh, you've got a girlfriend." I no, I didn't see it that way at all. I saw it as like he's got no reason to lie. He's gonna, he's been punched already. But he lies to his dad all the time. The first bit there where he quits his job just made me think he was a twat. Because <laughs> we're meant to be on his side that his boss, he's doing this job, he's agreed to do this job, and then very re- reasonably his boss comes out and says, "Well, come on, don't be stood out here smoking jazz cigarettes when you're meant to be working. Come on, you've got a job to do." And and he's and he's like, "Fuck you, man!" Telling me to do my job when I'm at work. Who the fuck do you think you are? Rules. Yeah. I mean, if he hadn't, yeah, if he hadn't said like, "Now fuck off and leave us alone," if he just said, "All right, don't pay me," I I really I didn't see him as like a, like I said a dick. I didn't see him as really manipulative. I saw that as kind of wow, what an inspiring, um, what a fresh outlook. And so it completely makes sense that Lester's giving him that face that he gives him. Like, wow, I've never heard anyone talk with so much confidence and i think the idea is that you know wow he's got his life he knows exactly 
how not to bullshit someone. He's so young and he's doing something I wish I could do. I mean, coming from Leicester. He's from Leicester. No. <laughs> but he's, but the, the whole, that point, the point of that is because he can't, he, can, he doesn't have to care about the job because he deals drugs for a yeah. living and makes a lot of money out of it. Um, yeah, so he's got nothing to lose. Like, well, I say he's got nothing to lose. He doesn't need this job. Exactly. So there's nothing cool about telling someone to shove their job up their ass when you don't need it. That poor manager's got to go back in there and he's probably got to, like, run around serving people hors d'oeuvres and stuff while, it, like, juggling that with doing paperwork in the back room. He's having an awful night now because this, this... He's missed his boys' softball game. Like I said, I'm not finding it inspiring myself, but I mean, it's the reason I can see why Lester turns around and kind of goes, wow, this guy, this guy was just, throw it all in. And, you know, ultimately his story is about a man who smokes one joint and then destroys his life and ultimately dies. No, he smokes many more. But yeah, I think everything that boy does is manipulative and and deductive on his part and deliberate. I don't know if it's written that way, though. And I think that's that's a problem with writing. rather. Than... I think it comes across that way. But I think... To me, because I'm a manipulative person, <laughs> I recognise it. That's it. I, think, I think about 90% of it is actually just very straightforward, sincere behaviour. But because we know he... Because some of his behaviour is manipulative and bullshitty, it's difficult to not read all of it as like, hang on, is this sincere? It, it really muddies the water, I think. I find it funny that I I assume he's quite genuine and there's you guys like, no, come on, no man would ever look past the hot girl and zoom in on the girl in the background. Like, you're saying that as a guy's point of view. So there's me like, oh, you know, I don't I don't see any... Well, one of the earliest scenes with him is him swapping his piss for clean piss. Like, he, he's, they set him up as, you know... Oh, he's savvy. Yeah, he's, a, <laughs> he's a confidence trickster. Going for the... Lowering your standards so you can get a girl is not. Oh, is not. Would we, would we, would we say but, that? <laughs> but, Bit but of a Hugh Grant there. Would we? Would we call her chubby? <laughs> but that's it. I, I, for me, for me, you know, you were going for this the hot popular chick who's just like partying all the time. Why would he do that when he's he's not popular himself? Exactly. That's what I mean because that's that's the stereotype. Whereas you wouldn't really. You find someone who you get on with. And you have more in common with. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you lower your standards. That means your standards are different. Yeah, exactly. But this Don't film say exactly presents like that was your point. This film presents <laughs> it as, oh look, he's looking past the hot girl and seeing the hidden one who hides her light under a bushel. He sees the beauty within, as if that's like something special. This film, it feels like it's been written by someone who is a manipulative dickhead and doesn't even know it. And so he thinks what he's doing is sincere. Well, I'll, I'll trust you to recognise that. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> because when you recognise it, you're either doing it knowingly or you go, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. But when you're young and you're working it out, you just do things that get results and then you go, oh, that worked. I'll do that again. But you don't necessarily know why and then you don't realise the damage you're doing to another person until uh, much later on when they leave you. Oh, my. So, <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> but anyway, again, so this is an issue with the Mina Savari and Thora Birch character dynamic because it's not this hot girl who's a total bitch and this sort of more down to earth girl. She's just quiet and she does her own thing. 
they're best friends and they are genuinely seem to be good friends until later on when they're just not friends anymore and it just feels like a silly teenage girl argument yeah and it, but they it's presented as some great like fraction is and, it I, I always thought it came across as just some little spat that teenage yeah, girls like they'd have make friends and they'll make the next day. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then it's also precipitated by the fact that she's like going, uh, or he's going, if I leave now, will you run away with me? And she's like, yeah, I will. Yeah, because teenagers are impulsive. Yeah. I, I don't think the film wants you to think, oh my God, this is some big, meaningful shit. I think it's just, look, it's impulsive teenagers. This is what teenagers do. That's basically my issue with it, is we're supposed to be going, oh, look, past Mina Savari, she's just the hot chick. But she's not. She never comes across like that. She comes across as a nice person with a lot of personality. She comes across as one of the most um, well-rounded people in the whole yeah, film, frankly. I, agree, I, I think in terms of um, her coming across as a bitch, though, like that, that really depends on who you're looking at her from. So like for Ricky, she probably just does just come across as a... Uh, so the creepy guy probably does just come across as a bitch well that's because he's an incel isn't he he's just like got a chip on his shoulder about attractive women who won't talk to like women women owe me attention she sees her best friend starting to go on for this guy who likes to play with dead birds <laughs> and, uh, and smoke drugs and, and film her from like the other side of the street like I think she, her response is perfectly reasonable to try and protect her friend. I'm not quite sure who I'm supposed to like and who I'm not supposed to like and I, think I could point. ultimately put that down to good writing but I think it's actually slightly sloppy writing. No, I think it's deliberate. I really think it's deliberate because it feels like everyone's textured yeah. enough. I think it might be deliberate direction. I don't think it's deliberate writing and it creates a kind of slight confusion well, in maybe. the whole film. I think the director knows what they're doing. Sam Mendes, this scripts. Oh god. <laughs> but I like that it, Ron it feels like they're meant to be Underwood. like normal people. Oh, not again! Hang on, you cracked that Underwood joke about a fucking year ago. <laughs> Let it go. It's a deep, deep cut reference for listeners of the podcast. And I got it. <laughs> so while we're talking about Mina Suvari's character, let's talk about sex as a power dynamic, which this film explores in great detail. Um. So reading from an essay, <laughs> Mina Savari's character is the is the sex pot, right? She's the tease. She's the gen the bait. sex pot. Did you yeah, say? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a big pot full you of sex. Like a granddad. That's okay. <laughs> oh god. Lester is sort of very unrealistically and not very convincingly completely drawn to her, and. This is another failing for the film for me that if you're going to play things subtle and do that subtle, just having him kind of weirdly obsessed with her. It's not meant to be subtle. There's nothing about it that's subtle. I know. That's why everyone's like, fucking hell, he really fancies you. Exactly. It's not subtle. But that's why I think if it we're going to put in something subtle, why why can't this adult man like hide these, these things? Because he's gawky. And then he gets cooler as the film goes on. He's a, he's a very charismatic, charming man, and it means, you know, he can get away with just being an overt sexual predator, and people aren't going to call him on it until for years, years and years, until the culture surrounding him, you know, changes, and then maybe people feel comfortable coming out and saying, look, Kevin Spacey raped me, and uh, this isn't okay. I'm so sorry, I thought you were talking about Lester Burnham, but here you are talking about Kevin Spacey. <laughs> 
Yeah, getting on his Kevin Spacey high horse. <laughs> like, that's strike number three. Um. <laughs> no, I, look, I, I, I think it's played fine. I, I, yeah, I've been, definitely. I've fallen in love with enough women on on the tube to, to <laughs> find it very relatable, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the way that it's presented, and that's fine. But I just think if we're going to find where we find so much subtlety within Mina Savari's character, I would perhaps let's see that on the other side. But also, you know, we are implicit in it. We, Mina Savari is presented as a sexual desirable object. The character is supposed to be, you know, underage. She's supposed to be uh, out of bounds, but she's presented as, you know, not being that. Is she is she meant to be underage? Like, and is that we we haven't established like. Where yeah, this film I... lands on that, because I never well, quite got that impression. But I don't, I don't remember the age coming up. I just always thought it was kind of like, oh, this is a bit inappropriate because she's your daughter's friend, young. Yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. The whole point is that it's inappropriate. I never got the impression it was like a legal line that made across. Well, I don't know. Does, does that matter? I, I don't know. If that yeah, I just think that it's gonna affect how you read the film, whether or not you're crossing a legal boundary or not. I don't see it as being about her being underage. I don't think she is. The fact that that's never mentioned and that's not an issue that so I don't think Yeah, that's to me I... that would suggest that she's not underage because it isn't mentioned and it's not an issue therefore. Okay, okay, let me rephrase it. So she's presented <laughs> as someone that's out of bounds because she's 20 years younger than him, 25 years younger than him. She's yeah. she's a daughter figure to him. Should be. Should yeah, should be. And he sees her differently. Okay. We are asked to join in with Lester in this voyeurism, in this obsession, we're supposed to be with him on it, aren't we? Um, I don't know that you're supposed to be with him. I think you're supposed to relate to the feeling of infatuation. Yeah. Not necessarily like hold hold it as a good thing or bad. I think it's meant to be beyond that. It's meant to just be that sensual feeling. I don't think you're meant to be sat there going like, oh god, yeah, the nipples can come up. Oh, rose, rose petals, roses. <laughs> I don't think that's the idea. I think it's like, like Judy says. I think you're meant to just kind of go, okay, yeah, we we've all kind of had this where we've noticed someone and, and gone, oh wow, they're very nice. But it's very important that it's someone that he shouldn't be feeling that way about. I don't at the mo- at that moment. I don't think it is. Yeah, it's interesting that you. You see little children and think that's fine. Okay, whatever. She's driving, so she's over 16. I reckon the actor was at least 18. I reckon it's all kosher. The actor was 20. Well, yeah, there you she's go. She's going to be older, yeah. Well, that's not she's got point. a real baby face, though. She does it really young. Look, all I'm saying is if you're if you're talking to someone underage and it turns out that they're perhaps a 45-year-old policeman, it still counts. <laughs> <laughs> just, You've watched so many of those to catch, a, to catch a predator. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts as a crime <laughs> but I think that that taboo element is supposed to be a part of it and obviously it is later oh god on. yeah 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 because that's what I mean that's why a lot of people say he's going through a midlife crisis is because he's going through something that's not normal with yeah. inverted commas you know he's yeah it's not meant to be that you're like rooting for him to get with the girl who may or may not be underage but it's definitely not appropriately matched for him I think the very crucial thing about all this is that Mina Suvari's character always has the power. She's she's deliberately flirting with him and and, and playing with him, uh, perhaps as a as a younger person not quite understanding the the sort of full reach of that, but that's fine. But he's just the gawky like oh, I've got a crush on her, and when that power flips and she becomes the vulnerable one, 
then it becomes, oh, this is weird. And obviously yeah, the whole point yeah, yeah. is that Lester's character re- recognises that as well, and therefore his character journey is, you know, he is ultimately a moral person. So that's the whole point. But I think that's why it works. I think that's why you can go with him, because it never seems creepy. It never really, because he's not in the he's power position. He's not in the yeah. power position. Fuck, marry, kill, right? American Beauty. <laughs> Just do Lester Burnham and hit do the hat trick, you know. Fuck the wife. You have Annette, to say that. Annette Bening. Is that a name? Yeah. yeah. Kill Thora Birch. Marry Manus Savari, whatever she's called. Because she, she seemed like she would be someone you could actually get along with and, you know, she'd grow as a person and you'd have some nice conversations. Thora Birch, I think, would just become very um, trying very quickly. Do you not get fight off the other men at the window with their video cameras. Do you recognise any elements of that character in people you know? <laughs> I, mean, I know what you're getting at, but no, not really. I, <laughs> I recognise a lot of his wife in in people, in my life. and I recognise a lot of him in, in my my own. Uh, I can relate to all the masturbating in the film. <laughs> so, the wife, whose name I don't know, played by Annette Bening, Carolyn. Okay, so Carolyn, she she's the ultimate in. I'm presenting a facade of uh, Americana. And in fact, she yeah. even sort of says that. It's a plot point where, like, to, to be successful, you have to show yourself being successful or whatever. And, I mean, that's that's what our character introduction is all about, showing and setting up. You know, it's her doing the open house and then she breaks down in tears because it doesn't go very well behind closed doors. I was, um, yeah, I was a bit literally about to say behind closed doors is, like, the theme of this, isn't it? Yeah. And so she's the archetype. And Lester is the husband of that archetype. She needs him there to present this. And, and so when he breaks that, when he breaks that contract, she suddenly falls as well. And then mm. she, she has her own character journey. And again, it just feels like there's a bit too many character journeys going on in the film. Um, I don't know. I think they all kind of complement each other. I like hers. I don't know if she has much of a journey. Hers feels a lot more like her husband's having a journey and she feels like she has to try and do the same thing, which it doesn't come naturally to her. So she's just kind of playing catch up with him. Yeah. I think hers is so, yeah, hers is kind of so influenced by his and his then becomes so influenced by hers. That's why I think they're both quite essential to the plot and the story and the character development. Um, I don't think he's influenced by hers so much as he sees her responding as being a green light to take things even further. But I feel like he's well, kind yeah, of operating I mean. as his own. Oh, he is. I think he operates on his own. If, any, if he's taking influence from anyone, it's the neighbour kid. Yeah, but then it's I all think his he fault. goes through another stage when he finds out she's been having an affair. And for him, it's like, that was that's another stage of his rebellion. And it's like, you know, he, re- he literally mm. stops giving a shit then. But that's it. I think that's just that he's not, he's no, he's no longer tied down to feeling bad about messing his wife around that's basically all it is he's just kind of freed from yeah and we and we don't get much of a journey with her in the sense of any guilt there particularly or hesitation she meets a man with eyebrows she she fucks him <laughs> oh then... my god they are I, so I have a question alan judy might be able to answer this i don't know alan <laughs> have you have you ever called yourself the king or anything similar <laughs> in the throes of passion because you strike me like someone who would <laughs> not the king <laughs> Oh, Do you have like a nickname Stop for yourself? But... <laughs> Lovely hole. <laughs> hey. 
we should we broadly touch on the plot because we haven't really we've just sort of been talking about it but i mean what what is the plot midlife um, crisis there is no plot the man has a midlife crisis and then he's dead yeah. is it really isn't it? it affects the people around him is there anyone else to talk about before the man the man well, the man Random colonel and abused wife who we don't understand why she's a nutcase next door. So we got, yeah, the abusive dickhead dad slash husband who just seems like... Homophobe. Yeah. Chris Cooper. That's just, yeah, yeah. Sort King of, Cooper. <laughs> yeah, and this was when Chris Cooper was on the way up, wasn't he? Like he, he was sort of becoming a star at this point and doing that. And what's the other one? Uh, the Nicholas Cage adaptation. Um, and it shows, you know, he's a great actor. Um, I don't know what about the character though, because it's again, it's this is a character where we don't really see the other side. He is just a, a dickhead. Mm. Yeah, and he's, even he's... when we, even when he's justifying the way he behaves towards his son, we don't buy into that. We're not supposed to, um, because he's like, oh, I'm doing this to protect you, or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, that's what an abusive person would say. And then we have this. Flip where his homophobia is obviously repressed homosexuality mm. because you can't just be a true blooded American homophobe without um apparently. <laughs> so uh It's weird how much that's influenced the the like cultural zeitgeist as a reference point. Like a lot of people seem to think, well, if you're homophobic you are gay, and the reference point for that is American beauty. And I don't know how much truth there is to it all the time. I think a lot of the time people are just bigoted. That's it. I think people do just hate other people. For Yeah. I'm sure having homosexual urges and tendencies can manifest in that way a lot if you've, of the time. Yeah, if you've been brought up in a way to say that's wrong. The, the twist is, oh, he's, he's actually gay himself. And then when he acts on it, you're almost meant to feel a bit of sympathy for him, and that was a, a move that Kevin Spacey used when uh, allegations of uh, him raping young men came out, and then he was like, by the way, I'm gay, so I'm a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lovely hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm going to take that audio clip out of context and <laughs> remix it. I could eat a knob at night. 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 This is a lovely hole. I could eat a knob at night. 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 This is a lovely hole. Darn you! When I when I asked that question about Alan and if he's ever said any like giving himself a name during this is a lovely hole. What were you hoping? <laughs> yeah, he loves to be called Harvey. I don't get it. What, Harvey's a big rabbit? Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, do you never do the old big rabbit roleplay? Yeah, I go, oh, gee, Harvey, let's go and make love. Um, I mean, so should, we, should we dig into Lester's plot a bit? Because we've kind of covered everyone around him. Go on. He has a... Does anything trigger it specifically? He smokes a joint. No, and well, is it that, or is he? He sees the young girl, or is it both? Yeah. Well, it's kind of both because he, he's in a position in his work where it looks like he might get fired. That was it. Yeah, it was his job. That's the inciting incident. One, oh, it is and it isn't. That's like a catalyst, but it's that's not an the ongoing reason. thing. He's unhappy in his marriage, and that's obviously an ongoing thing. 
the the joint smoking is is obviously uh, you know a gateway drug. incentive. <laughs> it makes his him throw his life away. But also the fact that he sees this other kid and like, oh my god, you're 18, you're so cool because you like don't care also, about having a job because you don't have to pay a mortgage. She says if he works out, I'd fuck him. And so yeah. then he works oh, out. Oh yeah, he overhears it. Yeah, yeah. I do like how realistic a portrayal of sex as a motivator this film is. <laughs> yeah. You've lost a lot of weight recently, haven't you, so <laughs> I think all I think pretty much all male betterment is driven by well, yeah, sexual I mean, yeah, so But I, I like that. I, I thought it was very very believable. Because I'd probably behave the same way if, if if in you know, really attractive woman I was into, I overheard her being like, Yeah, I'd totally bang him if he just like toned his arms up a bit. I'd be like, right. Yeah, but what if she was like, Oh, I'd, I'd totally be into him if he smoked? Yeah, she really likes. You start smoking in front of her. Yeah, I, I mean, not just. I pretend to be like a smoker. <laughs> You'd hold it wrong and give yourself away. What wouldn't you do? Uh, mm, I think I'd do most things. I mean, I probably wouldn't kill anyone. God, probably wouldn't kill anyone. <laughs> Take that out of context. Could eat a knob at night. Could eat a knob at night. I, mean, I probably wouldn't kill anyone. Could eat a knob at night. This is a lovely hole. So if you heard, if you heard someone saying, "Oh God, I hate my dad," if someone just killed him, I'd totally like shag him. You'd be like, "That's too much." Well, now how attractive are they? She's very attractive, and it's the dad who don't like him anyway is a bit of a knob. I might I might hang around till they're having an argument, and then like jump in and be like, "Oi, leave her alone! Leave it! Leave her alone!" Yeah. Well, can I use that as an, an, an abridgment to... Well, not an abridgment, that doesn't make sense. Can I use a that segue. as a segue into talking about the visuals of the film? Sure. Yeah. Which, which specifically for someone who's come from a theatre background into film, first film, Sam Mendes, it's fantastic, really. It's really okay. visual, and the way colours are used, and, you know, there's some really classic mm. cinema. Like, Mina Savari has like a, a, a highlight on her eyes like the whole time, like a like Lillian Gish in, in the 1920s. It's, you know, like that lighting the starlet kind of thing, that sort of thing. Red is a very prominent colour in the, in the, in the palette. I, I had a very similar thought, actually. My memory of this film was that it was just very plainly directed, but really well written. And going back to it, I think, yeah, it's a lot more down to the direction than I, my memory had given it credit for. It's a very well directed film. A lot of nice cinematography, lighting, like you said. The music's good in the film as well, actually. We, you, there is a very iconic theme for the film. Yeah. It's uh, worth yeah. shouting do it, do it, out. Do it now. Do 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 do. Sounds shit. <laughs> sounds like a Mario game. Do do. Yeah, well, I'm not a piano. <laughs> oh, do. Oh, wait, wrong film. Oh. <laughs> do do. There's two themes though, aren't there? There's that one, and then there's there's the one. No, I try. What's the other one? Oh, it's the one that comes across. Just ripping off Lion King two, anyway. There's only one theme in existence. Lion King 2 was written, and everything else is all stems from that. <laughs> Even Lion King, the first one, was written out. 
<laughs> written off Lion King too. Uh, the only other thing that uh, I was going to mention, actually, uh, regarding the sex stuff as a power dynamic, uh, when we see Mina Savari's character, and in fact we find out she's just lying and you know blustering, but she's saying, "Oh yeah, I'll sleep with someone if it gets me a job." You know, I was with this, I was doing this modeling shoot, and I slept with him because mm. I knew he's going to he can get me places. I thought that was very interesting and, and you know, because we find out she's lying about that, but she's that's like a preemptive defense for her because she knows she's going to be in a situation where that could happen. So she's already trying to justify it in her own head yeah. so that when it does happen, she can deal with it. And that is... I'd that sleep is, with someone for a job if, if anyone's hiring. <laughs> does it matter what the job is? Like, I, I do almost anything. <laughs> I wouldn't kill a man, but now it's now you'll sleep with someone for a job. And... What job? Well, yeah, that's not new, uh, you know. <laughs> sleep with people for less than that so <laughs> have you, have you sleep, do you ever sleep for people for, for nothing at all you don't you don't <laughs> yeah. charge them anything well, that's very generous sometimes i actually put a great you know amount of time and effort into like manipulating know, them buying them the drinks before. and taking them out for a meal that sort of thing so i actually end up out of pocket myself sometimes <laughs> God. i can't believe it shattered my your whole image. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever gone on a second date. So <laughs> you've never been on a second date. I don't think I have. It does suggest your first dates aren't good. No, I just can't be asked with people, Alan. I just can't be asked. <laughs> but you know that you get like more regular sex if you. Uh... I, I went on like the first bad first date the other week with someone where it, it got ended quite abruptly and I thought oh <laughs> like they made they made a, they made their excuse like oh I've got to go and do this thing in the morning so sorry and I just thought oh okay they obviously went into it whatever but then I was on this app and I like on some of these apps you can tell when the person's liked you even though you're not meant to be able to if you kind of you can figure it out based on stuff and and she liked me on this app again like this different app that we sort of bumped Parts on afterwards, so she's obviously still interested. So it obviously did go right. Even though she just doesn't recognise you at all, Sol, and you weren't that memorable. No, I'm very, very. <laughs> memorable. <laughs> oh, it's the Shrek memes guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Wait a second, talking Shrek. about Mike Myers, right? <laughs> oh my god! Talking about Shrek memes. Talking about Mike Myers. There is a very Austin Powers esque scene in this film. <laughs> In this otherwise serious film that we're supposed to take seriously, <laughs> the scene where where Chris Cooper's looking at his son through the window, and then it's like angled very specifically so it looks like he's sucking off Kevin Spacey, but Kevin Spacey's actually just leaning back in the chair with his shirt off, like ah, and the son's like rolling a cigarette, a joint, but it's framed to look like a blowjob. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It's it's sub gold member level. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Did this win Best Picture? Yeah. This yeah. Best Picture winning film. <laughs> with that fucking cheap sight gag. <laughs> Offensive. But they, they, they built the set with the windows in that position just so they could get that shot. <laughs> it's like when... It's like when Austin Powers stands behind a sausage and then she, like, takes a bite from it and he walks behind the, the coffee pot and then his penis lines up with the spout on it and he yawns and she pours some tea out of it. Oh, God. 
It's just so contrived to get to that point. But, but to get to such a serious point as well. Yeah. Like if it was just, if it was a comedy and he was like, oh my God, what am I son doing? Oh, whoops. Uh, That's it. It's like fucking American Pie. Oh dear. Um, I've got a few more questions or, or okay. complaints on, on similar <laughs> levels of <to> that. <laughs> so he gets paid off at work. He blackmails him, says he's going to make false claims of uh, sexual misconduct, blah, 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 blah. Gets, what, a year paid off? A year salary with benefits. And then he immediately goes and gets a job at McDonald's parody. Smileys. Why? Movies. Does, is he, like, he's, he doesn't, he's not worried about bringing in money. Is he worried that, that soon about padding out his year's salary with some minimum wage? Oh, I don't know. No, how it's, much, it's how about... much is that sports car going to set him back? Because yeah, but it's, a, if he's no, it's not a lot about of the money, that. though, is it? That's the point. It's about harking back to when he was a teenager and he just worked in the oh, thing yeah, for to get, make enough to money buy to buy some track. weed every weekend. Yeah, it's well, see, like... you should just swan around not having a job. Be a man of leisure for a bit. His lifestyle's not going to be massively supplemented by that. Are you kidding? It costs him two grand for a tiny bit of weed. And then he buys the sports car he's always wanted. That's not going to be cheap. I mean, minimum wage in America is not a lot of money. Yeah. It's not worth it. I don't think it's about the money. It's about him just taking on a job that has very little responsibility. Zero responsibility. It feels like he's still doing something. That's it. My my memory of the film was that he gave up a very high-powered, high-paying position to take this low level job because it was no responsibility and he was like yeah fuck it I'm happier in this job and re-watching it where it isn't that at all it doesn't work as well as my memory of it because in re-watching it it's like oh he's financially secure he doesn't actually need to worry about work so the fact that he's taking this job purely for like the happiness and enjoying his work regardless of state you know stature or, or income doesn't mean anything. He has nothing to lose. It's the same as the boy at the beginning. And I think it would have been a lot better if it if he did need the job, but he just you know was happy to work at a burger place. It does set up an excellent scene where he finds out that his wife's mm. cheating on him. But... but also, yeah. So at that point, he takes on this other job before he realizes about the affair. And if you remember the scene where he's actually just quit his job and he they're sat down at the dinner table and uh, Carolyn, the wife, is like, oh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm now the sole breadwinner. So maybe there was some element of like, I need to at least be bringing something in for the family. And then he finds out his wife's having an affair. No, his response to that is, is I've already got a job. He's bringing in a good salary for the next 12 months. Yeah, well, yeah. Plus benefits. But like I said, he's then going to blur it on sports cars and weed. So What's what it's for? I, I like the scene where he has a wank next to his wife. <laughs> I found that very relatable. Yeah, and the fact that she's then offended by it. It's like, well, yeah. What do you expect me to do? you got, you got to do it less vigorously so they don't wake up. I don't think it was vigorous. It was the sound of the nice, high-quality sheets rubbing. <laughs> I mean, that's that's vigorous, though. You've got to do it really slow and discreetly. And I tell you, if you manage, you manage to get there doing it like that, ooh-wee. Takes about an hour, <laughs> but it's it's all the it's worth it. So oh, worth it. He's going to another room. Do you want to write the film? Yeah. <laughs> I gave American Beauty <laughs> 8 out of 10. Mm, I gave American Beauty a 9 out of 10, actually. It's quite a generous 9, that. Mm. I'm torn between a 9 and a 10. Because I really like it. I mean, going 10, you've got to love it. It's got to, that's going to be... Well, I just, the thing is, I can't really fault it. That's why. 
we've we've already discussed its many faults. And if no, you don't agree, we've discussed its many faults. Well, I I don't get the gold member reference. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, to me, I just thought everything came together really well, and it was such an evocative film, and I think that made it like possibly a ten as a project. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Your son's moshing me off, baby. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, Judy, come on. We we don't have fence sitting on this show. You got you got to pick a number between pick seven and camp. eight. And go with it. <laughs> I mean, look, last, last week last week we put out, at the time of recording, in fact, not even at the time, last week, because this is quick turnaround this episode, last week we put out Little Shop of Horrors, and two of us gave it a 10, and it's now the second highest rated film that we've ever done on the podcast. <laughs> Damn, who gave it a 10? Alan, you didn't give it a 10. No. You gave it an 8. So, you know, if you want to give American Beauty a 10, I think that's fair. Oh, fuck it, yeah, I'm going to give it a 10. Whoa! <laughs> Hold the phone. Yeah. Ten out of ten, baby. <laughs> oh, no. Does American Beauty make you horny, baby? Oh, yeah, no. baby. Look out! It's it's Mike Myers Bond. It's no. It's, <laughs> this is a new character. This is ten out of ten. Os ten powers, and he shows up whenever someone gives a ten. <laughs> You're gonna make him a horny, Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, baby! Ten out of ten, baby! You wanna you wanna crap in a pancake, Shrek? <laughs> you wanna crap in a waffle? I make a waffle. <sighs> and a crap in a pancake. God. Oh, it's strange. <laughs> so, um in terms of sequels to American Beauty, there's not really a, a go to here, is there? Yeah. No, nothing obvious. I think there's a very obvious way to say this. Very obvious route to go down. Take Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy. No, 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 you're being silly. That's stupid. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) Smack my wrist. (laughs) No, Lester dies, doesn't he? The kid likes filming ghosts on his camera. He's a paranormal investigator, (laughs) as we've established earlier on. He's filming a ghost, like, flying around in his back garden or whatever it is, on the road, with some leaves. So, he... The kid starts investigating the haunting that Lester's doing. Lester's haunting all the houses that Annette Bening's trying to sell. And he's and he's manifested as a plastic bag. A wispy little ghost. Or a white yeah. sheep. It's the one off Snapchat. What? Oh, yeah. What the hell is Snapchat? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is a Snapchat? <laughs> is it a bit like the dynamic between... Minisavari and Kevin Spacey. Can you can you guys relate to that dynamic? I'm calling you old, Alan. That's what I'm being attracted to teenage girls. No, no, I definitely can't relate to that. If anyone's listening, (laughs) (laughs) no one's listening. (laughs) There's no teenage girls listening. I guarantee you that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Christ! (laughs) I think in general that that question is just not really safe to answer, is it? Which one? (laughs) The one you asked. What, are you attracted to teenage girls? Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm all right. Are you attracted to older men? Well, there you go. That's the problem. Are you? <laughs> well, I went out with Alan. I mean, <laughs> for quite a while. He is, he is quite an old man. Um, emotionally, He's ten, like, ten years uh, older than me. Has he got any grey hairs yet sneaking in? You're emotionally not a man. You're emotionally like a, a poo. A poo? <laughs> As in just kind of devoid of emotion. Uh, 
Like I said, he's passive. When you say a poo, you don't mean from The Simpsons. You mean like a no, turd. I don't mean a poo. Come on, Sol, do the voice. Don't pussy. <laughs> don't do it. No, it's not okay anymore. You can't do it. Even Hank Azaria is not allowed to do it anymore. No, because if you do an impression of Hank Azaria, then it's not racist. I can do an impression of Hank Azaria. Um, hey, it's me, Hank Azaria. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm really boring in real life. I've got a really boring voice. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, one of my friends. Why did I ever get mixed up with that bitch? Because she's got a great ass! <laughs> oh yeah, he's in that scene. I was thinking, why are you doing Al Pacino? And then, you didn't shout properly, Alan. You've got to really go for it. I'll say, hang on. Let me do it again. Clear <clears throat> my throat. Because she's got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it! <laughs> Oh, it's gone Christopher Lloyd. He <laughs> 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 ruined it. Oh, God. I love Al Pacino. We need to do an Al Pacino movie soon, all right? Yeah, we should. Let's do that one where he's shagging Adam Sandler's playing his own <laughs> Oh, God. Do you remember, Alan? That? You only saw that because I was watching it in 20-minute installments. Because my, my PlayStation... Had- just like is when they brought in this new technology where it would t- detect like recent films. I think Sony movies specifically that had been pirated and were being played on the PS3 like through their audio or something. And it would let you watch twenty minutes and then it would just cut the audio from your PlayStation. And then you had to like reboot it. And stuff. Yeah, I had to like no, it didn't work. You had to, I had to like leave it a day or something to forget that it had <laughs> already played this. So over like a week, I watched Jack and Jill, and you watched it with me. I think in twenty-minute installments each time. Maybe I didn't see the whole thing. That I just saw like one twenty-minute section. <laughs> you weren't you weren't into it though. You're acting you, like you're acting like you got fond memories of it now. But I, I don't you, think I've ever seen it. I think you were furious it. about it. That and little little big man or whatever it's called. My favorite with the Wayans is a little man. baby. Isn't, that's that's a Dustin Hoffman film. Little, what am I thinking? Little of? man, you're thinking of little man with the Wayans. Yeah, you you hated that. I thought it was so bad. It was good. I thought it was hilariously shit. But you were like, no, this is offensively awful. Not unless, offensive. I'm less, I'm less angry these days, though. Uh, we should do little. We should do little man on the podcast. We should do a poll with Big Mama's House trilogy. Little Man, still going. Jack and Jill. We should do an Adam Sandler movie. American Beauty, eh? So what's the sequel? <laughs> French, ugly. I th- <laughs> Thora Birch and the guy run off to New York. And then they realise they hate each other. No, they're arrested for the murder of Lester. But it's really obvious they didn't do it on account of, on account of the fingerprints on the gun. The dad turns himself in at the end to like get his son off the hook because he, he reconciles with him. And it's like his moment of redemption. I was like, you know what? I love my boy. If you were going to do this, if you, what what story would you tell today that had the kind of same relevance as that story had in in at the turn of the century? Because you you wouldn't tell that story again today. Things are different now. Doesn't American Beauty seem like the sort of film that would have had an actual sequel in development? For a few no, years before it just kind of fell apart, and it's such a standalone thing. thing. Yeah. No, I mean like one of those ten years on, they announce we're going to make a sequel to this film, and everyone's like, "Really?" And then it never actually happened. Mm. Like how they're making Passion of the Christ it. too at the moment. <laughs> yes, mm. Jesus is back, and this time he's <laughs> pierced. Like how they were going to make Gladiator two, but it didn't happen. Really? 
That's stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's why it fell apart. It was going to be about Russell Crowe going to the afterlife and, like, coming back to the, with, like, Greek gods know. and shit. It was going to be absolutely insane. What about American Booty? <laughs> we did a porn spoof last week. Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't have any further than that, basically. What about American View Toy? And we remake the film comedically as, like, a 15-minute short using stuffed animal like toys action man it's been done then the moment i'd been waiting for finally came whoa what's wrong i thought you said i was beautiful i didn't realize you actually had roses instead of breasts don't you still want to do it well no yeah it's been done now fargo the tv series is like a new story but tonally the same set in the same world in the same area. Well, well, that's what I was just thinking. American Beauty, to me, is effectively a prequel for Desperate Housewives. You know, it's they've done that mm. as a series. It's Desperate Housewives, and it starts with a murder, and then it's mm. all of us on Wisteria Lane, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know. We need Calvin here, because I've never seen it. Oh, Desperate Housewives. It's good. Is it? <laughs> I enjoy it. Doesn't mean it's good. I think in this day and age, you want to pick up with Thora Birch anyway, if you're going to do this. Like, his age-ish now, right? And she's locked in a loveless marriage and addicted And to she's things. going through the same shit, yeah. She can deal with the same thing but come at it from a very different perspective because her dad did this and she saw what happened there and times have changed and obviously she's bringing a female perspective to it. And then the, the, the boy next door is either in prison or a congressman. Rehab. He's in rehab. Still. So then what's um Angela, what's her face doing? The Mina, Mina, what's her face? Savari. She's dead. Yeah. yeah. Her character would be dead. She's a crackhead. Yeah. She no. took a lot of crack. She went at 27. Joined the 27 club. No, she went at 28. Year too late. But it would just, I mean, it would just go through the same thing again. Well, would it? Or yeah. would it comment on that, subvert it, go in a new direction with the fact well, that it didn't, dad... it would just be horribly chirpy. You can have her cling to her, the monotony of her life because she saw what happened to her dad and I really see it as like a unsequelable um Well why don't we film. instead of instead of pitching a satisfying sequel idea we just put in a load of stuff about Soul's sex life. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that, it's fine. We can just take it out the middle and edit it onto the end of this thing. So, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and then I can go to bed. That'd be good actually if 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 they put that out in cinemas, American Beauty Two and people go and sit down in the cinema really excited and then it's it's just me talking about my sex life <laughs> sat in a chair and this has been american beauty and all other variants america's weirdest home movies is what's just happened oh that was my idea that was my sequel idea <laughs> that was my sequel idea you know the um the bit where he's he's filming him through the garage thing and he's america's, like, oh, america's weirdest home movies most beautiful so the, videos <laughs> no the the sequel was going to be that the footage ends up on you've been framed <laughs> And and um and then it comes to light that there's like a murder investigation, and then they find the video of Ricky Fitz saying like, "Yeah, I'd kill your dad." And then then it goes into it. Ricky Fitz. That's the next door neighbor. His name's Ricky Fitz. I think so. That's like a fucking men's club comedian from the seventies, <laughs> Ricky Fitz. <laughs> now then, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's Ricky Fitz. I mean, I can believe it is. It's just a weird... I mean, Lester's a weird name. Lester's another name, like a working men's club comedian. 
What's his surname? Burnham. That's a that's a working man's club comedian. Lester Burnham, definitely. My wife. At the end of this film, I'll be dead, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to hey. stop recording now. Thanks, Judy, for coming. Cool. Thanks, guys. There you go. That was American Beauty. We'll be back next week with better quality audio. Thanks again to Judy. If you're a fan of Judy, then stick around because we we have booked her in for her third episode already. Though it won't be for a while, you know. Don't don't expect to turn up next week. As ever, if you want us in the meantime, head over to dimreturns.com. And please do, if you haven't already, take the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Generally spread the word of the show. Find us on social media and like us there as well. Hope you liked that. I think you'll enjoy what's coming next week. Bye. <laughs>